For just a second, think about the world. What comes to your mind? While there are some really good and encouraging things on this planet, the one thing with which we would all probably agree on is that this world is broken. Wars and conflicts are killing people every day. Disease afflicts millions on every continent. Poverty kills the young and the old. Thousands upon thousands are murdered every hour. Corrupt governments are brutally oppressing their people. Terrorism, pollution, racism, theft, domestic violence, lying, cheating. Overall, this is a pretty messed up world. That being said, everyone is trying to make it better. There's this universal longing with everyone that this mess would be fixed and every culture and religion thinks they can fix it. We know it isn't supposed to be like this. And that alone points to the reality that this perfect environment either existed somewhere in the past or might actually happen in the future. The Bible explains it this way. From the very beginning, God had a beautiful purpose in His creation. All of the complexity and diversity of His creation, living and non-living, natural and spiritual, were put in place so that His chief creation, man and woman, might fully enjoy Him. God isn't distant and cold, but instead He chose to create humans in such a way that He might have meaningful and purposeful relationship with them. Every last aspect of the universe was put in place in such a way that this bond between God and humankind might be carried out to its utmost. He even went so far as to create a special garden as a place to carry out this initial relationship. And even going a step further, while the planet was designed to take care of us, we were given the privilege of taking care of it. It was good. So how did it go wrong? Humans chose not to live under the good rule and care of the Creator. The Bible calls it sin, rebellion, and idolatry. In arrogance, they had the audacity to believe that they could fulfill their desires in a greater way than the way in which God created them to find fulfillment. God told them how they would be fully satisfied, but they chose to go their own way. The moment this happened, the consequences of this self-centeredness had ramifications on everything, and we have been living with it ever since. It harmed our relationship with God, with each other, and with the rest of His creation. What was intended to be enjoyed with our Creator, we decided to use for our own pleasure apart from Him. Just as it has been from the beginning, we want our own way. And God promised that the consequences of this would be separation so great that it would culminate in death. And not only death, but also what the Bible calls eternal death. A separation from God and His grace for eternity. A separation that will involve His wrath. The crazy thing about the mess that we're in, however, is the way in which we think we can fix it. We pleasure seekers who murder, rape, torture, molest, lie, cheat, steal, gossip, and manipulate have it in our minds that although we created and continue to create this mess, we can somehow repair the damage. Think about how hard we try. We try to mend families and countries, rescue orphans and animals, restore the ozone layer in the planet, and rebuild nations and peoples. We know the world is wrong. But in the end, everything we have tried eventually returns to a mess because of us. Remember that I said God created this world to have a relationship with us? The good news is that God refuses to abandon us. This is one of the main truths of the Bible. It tells of God's relentless desire to be in a right relationship with us, and it all culminated in Him coming to us. The way in which He decided to clean up the mess was by becoming us. He came to earth as a humble servant named Jesus to teach us what humanity is supposed to be. He came with a message of hope calling all people away from their self-centered pursuits and back to Him. But before you think He was just a kind of glorified Gandhi, 
you've got to hear about his ultimate act. You see, the problem with humanity is humanity, like I said. God's relentless pursuit of us required that he change the inherent problem in each of us. The mess exists around the world because people exist around the world. He could give all kinds of great examples, but the problem was still there. Our sin and our condition needed to be changed. This is why he came, to die on our behalf. Remember I said there are consequences to not living under the good rule and care of the Creator? Those consequences, sin and death, had to be resolved. The whole world needed to be restored, beginning with man, his chief creation. When Jesus died on the cross, he bore the weight of God's wrath for our rebellion and died our death. It was great that he gave us an example of humanity while on this earth, but he ultimately took on humanity so that he might absorb God's wrath on our behalf which would have taken an eternity for us to bear. Because Jesus came to earth as a full human being, he was able to die. Because Jesus remained fully God, his sacrifice sufficiently paid the penalty we we deserved. When Jesus burst from the grave in victory three days later, he demonstrated his authority over death and proved forever that he is the king and creator of everything. He didn't desert us in the least. Through this act, He is calling us back into right relationship with our Creator, our fellow man, and the rest of the created world. Those who choose to join Jesus in His mission of restoration might still die, but they will be in a right relationship with their Creator through this amazing act. No longer will they face wrath, which they deserve, but they will receive the grace that God intended from the beginning. So how does this change our world? God's plan is that our world is changed one person at a time, through those who choose to join Jesus on his mission. In order to change, we must be changed, and those who have been intrinsically transformed through Jesus' work are now called together into groups called churches. City by city and town by town, they join Jesus in this fight against evil of of this world by calling other humans from every nation, language, and ethnicity to leave their self-absorbed, rebellious lifestyle that has brought chaos and mayhem and follow King Jesus. He is calling us to join Him, redeeming the world one person at a time. Jesus' followers aren't just coming with a message, they are coming as people changed by a message. The authenticity of Jesus' message and mission is found in the lives of His followers. And as we continue to follow Him, the Bible promises that He will make us more and more like Him, which is what humanity was intended to be from the start. These pockets of followers of Jesus are sent together to become outposts of peace into the midst of anarchy to bring authentic harmony into the midst of broken human relationships. Everything from dysfunctional families to impoverished communities to racially torn neighborhoods to corrupt businesses, destruction and conflict that humans, independent of God, have produced is to be purposely impacted by those choosing to join Jesus in His mission. Everyone realizes the world has these problems, and to be fair, Jesus' followers haven't always lived up to the one they are following. They have sometimes made following Jesus a set of awkward rules and they don't even follow Him. The mistake that they make, and that people make in general, however, is to think that this can be done without Jesus. This, however, is not the end. Some will choose not to follow Jesus and trust Him to transform them. The outcome for them will be total separation and bearing of God's wrath for eternity. That seems so hard, but sometimes justice is just that, hard. 
He is offering His mercy and grace through His mission. Just like Jesus was ripped from the grave, those who choose to follow Him and trust in His ability to change us will be resurrected as well. One day, God will remove us from this broken world because it needs resurrection too. The mission will have an end. All of those things for which humans long, safety, peace, harmony, relief, liberation, satisfaction, pleasure, and so much more will finally be realized. And at the end, the best part isn't that we get a perfect world with perfect humanity. The best part, the greatest joy, will be we get God. Don't end up on the wrong side of history. What was intended from the beginning will be more than realized. King Jesus will see to it. All right. Well, happy Resurrection Day. The, uh, the video we made, um, Carrie Ann Rillera, if you, people have asked me the last service, who drew all that? It wasn't me. <laughs> uh, Carrie Ann uh, drew it, and she just did a great job with that. But the thing we were wanting to show you with that video was this. See, so often we think that somehow Jesus just came as this good moralistic guy. He was just a good guy. He came and he lived this nice life, and yeah, the whole death thing we kind of don't understand But what he was trying to show us when he went to the cross in the vicious and horrific way that he went that culminated itself in death is he wanted us to understand how ugly our rebellion against God really is. See, I think sometimes we just think, well, why didn't God just poof, fix it? Well, because he needed to show us, we needed to understand as human beings when we have sinned against this holy God, just how grotesque it is. The whole Old Testament, it shows this unique picture of the grossness of rebellion against God and and the way that he would carry out different things to help us to understand just how terrible it is to sin against the holy God. But the thing that you can't miss in this is that while there was rebellion going on, and you know this, boy, you've watched the news, haven't you? My gosh, is how much of a funk is this world under right now? Man, you watch it, and the death, and the mayhem, and the way everything seems to be falling apart, is that's why Jesus came. In the midst of all that mayhem, is a story of the creator of the universe, the king of kings that came and what was owed us, he paid that penalty. He took it upon himself and in taking it upon himself, you gotta understand something, that the cross was no accident. It was planned by God. It was set out and Jesus Christ put himself there and without the cross, you're correct, we are just a bunch of moralistic people just like every other religion there is but Jesus Christ, what he did and there was a guy named Paul who followed Jesus a few years later. He talked about it that when Jesus Christ was nailed to that tree is that all those now who choose to follow Jesus who place their faith in him, the stinger of death is now removed because now we are a group of people that there's now therefore no judgment in front of God one day. Jesus Christ has paid it all. He defeated sin and he defeated Satan and that's who we are as a group of people now. Amen? In fact, the way he talks about it in Hebrews and I want to throw this up there. I love this. He says this. He says, Jesus likewise shared in our humanity. He became one of us so that through death... He could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. See, the fear of death is not the dying. The fear of death is what happens after I die. 
And what Jesus did, for those of us that know him, is is he removed that stinger because we know now when we stand in front of God, I won't be coming in front of him with a righteousness of my own. I will be coming in front of him by faith one day saying to the Father, the only reason I can stand in front of you right is because what your son did 2,000 years ago. That's who we are. Now the world at that time was absolutely broken though. Can you just imagine the guys that he was with? Watching him die, even watching John as he held Mary, Jesus' mother, watching as the one in which they placed all their hope slowly breathed his last. Little did they know, though, when he said it is finished, what was taking place. Because the moment that he died, Jesus Christ, it talks about in 1 Peter 4, was ushered through all of the angelic realm, all of the spiritual world, proclaiming to all of them, I win. He said to the whole angelic realm, you can stand yourself against me. You've tried everything you can to stop me. I am king of kings, creator of the universe. I cannot be stopped. So the question then is, if Jesus Christ's death was so wonderful, why the resurrection? See, the story of Easter is so unlike any other story. It's not this story about this mangled man in a grave. Every other story that's out there, religious story, has nothing to do with anybody defeating death. The one in which they're following has died, has passed away, but we have a completely different reality. When all of Jesus' friends showed up at the grave, there was the angel standing at the tomb looking at them and going, why are you here? He's not here. He's defeated death. He's overcome it. In fact, not only that, but he kicked the whole death wall down and he has released captives. He has accomplished everything. He's not here. And then the angel says to him, do not fear. The first thing that the angel needs to help them to understand is, is those of us that choose to follow Jesus, we don't have to fear anymore And they should have known this because before this, way back early on in Jesus' ministry, all these people came up to him and they they were trying to understand who this Jesus was. And Jesus looked at all of them. And they're standing in front of Herod's temple, this gigantic temple, just gold and stone. And he looks out at all of them and he says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Now they're looking at him like, what are you talking about? It took 46 years about to build this thing. What do you mean? And underneath, all of a sudden, the guy that wrote it, John, who is the apostle that Jesus loved, talks about, he, wrote, he writes this statement, but they had no clue he was talking about himself. You tear down that temple, I'll rebuild it. You try to put me in the grave, you can't hold me. I'm about to go through all kinds of affliction and persecution, but the thing that is the culmination of Jesus' act, the thing that showed him to be king of all kings, the ruler of the universe, is when he got ripped from that grave, proclaiming not only the angelic realm, but to everyone there, over 500 or so that saw him, I am king. That's what the resurrection is about. And in fact, when he told his followers, when they came to that hill afterwards, his whole point was them, is now what I want you to do is I want you to go all over the world and I want you to tell people, the king has risen. You now can be right with God. I have defeated sin. I've defeated Satan. I've defeated death. Go tell everybody the king has risen. And the crazy part about it was, they did it. In fact, all of us are in this room today because those crazy 12 guys did it. 
They went all over the world proclaiming this message. It worked its way all throughout the Roman Empire up into Europe. One day it finally crossed over on a boat, landed in North America. And all of us today are sitting here because 2,000 years ago, a guy rose from the grave and told people, go do it, and they believed it, and they followed him. See, the thing about this resurrection is, is that it's an announcement from God. He hasn't given up on us. While this world has just stood and shook in their fist at God, God in his grace sent to us his son and he hasn't given up on us. He wants us to tell everybody, every city and language group, all people, I haven't given up on you. The offering that Jesus gave was totally adequate. It paid all. But when he rose from the grave, he gave a promise. There's more to come. And the way that Paul illustrates it is so interesting. Look how Paul illustrates it. This guy that wrote this letter, this, this follower of Jesus to these people in Corinth, he said, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare seed. Now here's what he's saying. Here, listen to me. I don't know if you've ever held a seed before, but I grew up in eastern Wyoming, and I grew up on a ranch and a farm. And we would have these little seeds. Ever see it? Isn't it huge? Monster, isn't it? But my, uh, my family grew wheat. And every year at the end of the summer, what they would do is we would plant with the expectation that something's going to come. We'd take this tiny little seed and we'd put it in the ground and you wouldn't believe what happens. Something so much greater grows. What he's trying to help all of us to understand is that the reason that the resurrection matters is he's looking at all of us and saying, you're just a seed. That's all you are. What there is to come is so much bigger and so much greater. And in fact, what he's telling us is, is you need to live your life with an understanding this is all you are. You're just a seed. You're here for a little bit of time. And in fact, I was thinking through all the implications in my life. If I'm just a seed, if this is all I am, then I can treat situations different because I'm only a seed. I can treat life and live it differently with boldness because I'm only a seed. I can treat my spouse different because I'm only a seed. If I'm single, I can stay single because I'm only a seed. I can raise my, dif- my kids different because I'm only a seed. I can treat my money different because I'm only a seed. If I go through trouble or pain, that's okay because I'm only a seed. I can look at the world different because I'm only a seed. I can look at my future different because I'm only a seed. And this morning, I started jotting myself a note as I was praying, and I thought this one. And if today I or any one of us that knows and follows Jesus were to die and they were to put us six foot under in the ground, we won't be a seed anymore. We will finally be what God intended this seed to be. In other words, can you imagine if this is what we are now, what we will eventually be? My wife is growing a garden. I'm so proud of her. She's growing a salsa garden. <clears throat> and I'm, so I'm like, you got to understand something. My wife and I, we kill things. And so she goes, guess what? And it's one of our friends. She's going to come over and help us to plant a garden. And I jokingly just said, so we can kill it. And that wasn't a very nice thing to say. But it was just this thing in which like, okay, yeah, we're going to plant a garden. That's great. You wouldn't believe it. It's actually growing. What's coming up now is going to finally be a final product, which is way better than just the seeds. Can you imagine if my wife walked in with the seeds and she said, great news, baby. Salsa. (laughs) 
Now, I know one day that little spunky wife of mine is going to come in with her tomatoes and jalapenos and all these other things, and she's going to go, salsa, (laughs) right? That's what Paul's saying. When Jesus comes back, see, not only did he come the first time as the suffering servant, but this is what the Bible also tells us is that one day he's not coming back and he's not going to take us into eternity as seeds. No, he's coming back one day. Salsa, right? He's coming back with an understanding. I have something so much greater for you and so much bigger for you. The whole idea of calling us seeds was this idea is that now we can live as this group of people. I can live with confidence because if you kill me today, it doesn't matter because one day I will be something greater than I am now. I don't have to now pursue everything on this planet trying to go on every vacation and buy everything and do everything because I got to understand something is that one day I'll have eternity to do that with Jesus. I can live different and talk different. It frees us to be who we really are now, just a bunch of seeds or temporary. The thing that it hit me is is the beauty of it is I can quit trying to be king. You have a king. His name is Jesus. And when he rose from the grave, he demonstrated to all of us that's who he is. And I don't know when, but sometime in the future, I can promise you he's not coming back as a suffering servant. There will come a day where it talks about there will be a trumpet and there will be a shout. And the one that was the suffering servant will now return as the king. And even though everyone has stood for years doing this, the Bible talks about the fact in Philippians, another letter that this guy Paul wrote to the people in Philippi, he says, listen to me, one day every knee will bow. And let me tell you something. You don't want to bow later. See, the Bible talks about this in Acts. Paul, this guy I was telling about this, written all these letters. He was preaching to this group of people in Athens. And he says, listen to me. God has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man, that being Jesus, whom he designated, having provided proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. See, all of us in this room, and I I don't know everybody, I know some of you are followers of Jesus, but I don't know if some of you are. I know some of you maybe just come back to church because you kind of have to at Easter and Christmas because that's kind of what we expect people to do. But the Bible talks about this time and this place when Jesus Christ is gonna judge, and I wanna read you this point. What does he say when he's gonna judge? Look at this, what he says in Revelation. At the very end, John, one of his apostles, says, I saw a large white throne and the one who was seated on it, the earth and the heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them and I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Then books were opened and another book was opened, the book of life, so the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up all their dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each one was judged according to his deeds. Now listen to me. Please. There will come a day where all of us will stand in front of Jesus. 
for all those who the Bible talks about are not found written in the book of life, for all of those that don't bend their knee now, for all of those that don't choose to follow Jesus now, there will come a point in which you will face the judgment of a God and you will incur all the wrath that is owed you for, defending a whole, for offending a holy God. In fact, the way he says it is, this is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that person was thrown into the lake of fire. See, Jesus has come now saying, I haven't given up on you. The resurrection is calling all of us now to return and to repent and come back to the God that created us. He's calling us back and by faith now we're returning not on a righteousness of our own, not thinking that we can earn our way to that infinite and holy God, but because Jesus Christ came to earth for that sole purpose so that we might be a group of people now that when we stand in front of God, we don't bring anything with us other than I'm with Jesus. And if you're someone that needs to today bow your knee, please do. You do not want to bow it later. But for those of you in this room, how cool is it going to be when Jesus comes back? Can you imagine just for a second, no problems in the Middle East, you're never ever going to hear again the stock market might crash, the economy might fall apart, you might lose your job. You're never going to hear about going to someone's funeral again. Because at that point, Jesus Christ will return in the same way we need resurrection, in the same way we can't live for eternity as these seeds. He is going to come back and he's going to change everything. And we're a group of people sitting in this room right now that live, those of us that follow Jesus, under the hope that all things will be set right. We might be seeds now, but let me tell you something. This is nothing compared to what we're gonna be. And when I say Jesus Christ came and defeated death, that's what I mean, amen? That's what I mean when he burst forth from the grave and he kicked the door of the prison down and he led captives free. That's what I mean. That's what I mean when I talk about the fact that one day when he returns, he will be the ruler that we've all wanted. And in the midst of all this chaos now, we can be this group of people that says, you know what, in spite of all that's taken place, Jesus is king and he will set it straight. Amen? Amen. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'd like everybody to stand up. Just stand up. What are you going to do the day you get what the Bible talks about as this new resurrected body? I think I might dance. I hope my glorified body has rhythm. But I know one of the things that we're going to do, the Bible has created music. In fact, one of the things the Bible talks about is that when God was creating the world, the angels sang. And so what I want to do is is I'd like to have a little practice for eternity, if you don't mind, all right? What I'd like to do now is for those of us that know Jesus, that have our hope in him, that have the expectation that when he returns, we are going to go be with him. Let's sing like it. We believe it. Amen? Amen? All right.